Hello and welcome back to the Railway Men podcast. We're back with the latest in our ex-player interviews. I'm joined by two of our Steves today, Steve Davis and Steve Dale. Hi, guys. Evening, Steve. How's you? Okay, mate. I'm good, thank you. Today's ex-crew player played 101 league games for crew, scored seven goals, was involved in the 2002-2003 promotion to the championship. He's now having a successful coaching career. We'll try not to hold it against him, who he's working for. It's Richard Walker. Hi, Rich. Evening, Stuart. Evening, fellas. Thank you for coming on and giving us your time. My pleasure. Uh, I've listened to a, a, a lot of the podcasts that have gone before and it's, uh, it's good to be on and uh, you're doing a great job with it all. Thank you very much. I'm sure this one will be just as good, if not better than the Steve Foster one, you know, because I'm sure that's the competition for you. That's it. That's, he's set the bar, so I've got to produce. <laughs> so, Rich, we'll start at the beginning, um, where we would normally start. Um, what do you remember about getting into football and how did you end up playing at the Crew Academy? Um, probably like most, most lads, played grassroots, started grassroots at, at nine, ten years of age. Played for my local team, Pinkridge Juniors, in the Mid-Staffs League. Um, at under-13s, I was selected to play for the league representative side and we, we had a fixture against crew. So mid-staffs junior league under-13s to play crews under-13s. Um, it was at um, the farm. I don't know if you're familiar with the farm. I mean, it's uh, I'm trying to re- recollect where it is. Is it Windry, somewhere like that? It was, so it was a, a training pitch that was was one of the directors. So we, we had a had a game there. Um, as it was, the crew side beat us 4-1, I think it was. Um, but after the game, Dario took the get the, the, the crew side and, and I was invited in for a six-week trial. So that was my, my first encounter with crew. And then when I come up, I've, I pretty much had a game straight away against Sheffield Wednesday. And, and Steve Holland was taking that side. Um, now, I played midfield for my uh, grassroots team and, and played in midfield against crew. Um, but I remember Steve coming up to me on the on the bus on the way to Sheffield and said, have you ever played centre-half? Which at the time I hadn't. Um, and I said, no. He says, well, you can either start as sub and I'll try and get you on in midfield or you can start as centre-back. So it was a no-brainer to me. I played centre-back in the game, did OK. Um, and I guess the, the rest is history from there, as they say. And that, that was kind of my, my start into the academy. And, th- and then obviously it, it progressed, progressed from there. You've sort of answered a question I sort of had ready to go for the next one because the Matt Tootle episode we had on recently, he said when he was a kid, he came, he started playing football. He was scoring up front, he was at front, scoring lots of goals. And I noticed it seems to be a thread with defenders that um, as you're a kid, you're sort of like the star player, you're up front, you're scoring lots of goals. And then as the standard you're playing in gets higher and higher, you drop back. So um, you've already sort of answered that by saying you're a midfielder. Um, were you a goal scoring midfielder or were you sort of sitting deep? What were you doing? Yeah, no, I was a, a probably I probably described myself in in my own head as Patrick Vieira, you know, box to box, all action, could arrive in the box, could travel with the ball, could break up play, and and in my head that that's what I was. But I think what was going on in my head and what the reality of it was 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 probably contrasting. And in, in, in terms of 
in terms of what the actual level level was at elite elite sort of academies at the time or centre of excellence as it was. So, uh, yeah, I had decent attributes that I could get away with at, at grassroots level. But like you say, um, I think going into that next step when um, a more polished player would be required in midfield technically, um, I think it was clear that I needed to go back a unit um, and, and, and play in defence. I mean, you know, now I'm in my role and I, I look and I, I think it was an absolute no-brainer for the staff to look at me and, and see what the, the size of me was. And, you know, I, I was quite... I was a lot more mobile back then and in my early days. Um, so it, it was a, it was a no brainer really to, to put me back there. And, I, and I'm glad they did because I think even in training throughout my career, as I moved on, anytime I'd ever hover in the midfield area, I felt like I was in the middle of the M6. There was all, all so much going, going on around me. So um, yeah, I certainly needed to, to sort of step back and, and have a look at the, 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 the picture from deep. But no, I agree with Stuart that the amount of players that, that kind of, drop back positions and, and eventually find the way way to the, the defensive line is, is is uncanny. Who were the um, midfielders keeping you out the side at the time? Well I didn't I didn't ever get I didn't ever get a chance to go into midfield. I mean I, I was obviously you know Steve you look you remember that Foz's his podcast and and he mentioned our age group and uh, and and ours was probably by crew standard was was not one of the best age groups but I do remember we had um, a lad called Stephen Holt who, um, who was a scholar at the club. He was a, a real sort of small technical midfield player. Um, so again, I even look, I remember my dad saying to me, my dad's, because I I actually wanted to play in midfield and my dad wasn't, um, he, he wouldn't class himself as a master sort of football coach or anything like that, but I valued his opinion and I was like, I want to play midfield, I want to play midfield. It's boring at the back. Um, and he quickly pointed out that the, the fact that the, the midfielders that, that were in the, the, the academy at the time were, were all small and technical midfield players. So they were all a million times better on the ball than me. Um, and, the, the, you know, you, you look at that mould of midfielder that the crew have, have produced over the years. I guess Kenny Lunt, your Danny Murphys, your Gareth Wallies, your David Vaughan's. You know, they're, they're all a similar sort of profile in terms of the physical, the, the physical profile. So, um, yeah, in terms of that age group, Steve, in answer to your question, I, I don't think there'd be any names I could throw at you that would, would necessarily jump out. I mean, there was Foz, myself, John Grant of the ones who, who, who actually made appearances. Um, Stephen Alt would be another one who was a, um, a scholar with me, Carl Laurie, uh, Mark Beeston were, were lads that, that, again, had scholarships with us and, and good lads, but for one reason or the other didn't, didn't go on to the, the professional ranks. Did um did your dad ever say that maybe Stephen Steve Holland knew a little bit more than teenage Rich Walker about positions for players, or did he not really have to spell that out for you? Well, yeah, well, it, I must admit it's quite funny. I, I do look back, and I, I, when I was playing grassroots, I'd, I'd, my dad was like the oracle. So you you play your game, and and you get in the car, and if you played well, it was like no news was good news sort of thing. And if I, if you ever hadn't, I knew about it. And that drive road, drive home was probably, I mean, for anyone of my generation, I think that was probably par for the course that your dad had let you know exactly in no uncertain terms of where you went wrong, went wrong, and 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 why, and how it, it best not happen again. And then it, that went on. Obviously, again, I mentioned under tens. I was under tens to under thirteens playing grassroots, and and that was standard for three years. And my dad's opinion was the most important by a million miles. 
Um, but then once I got into the academy, my dad quickly realised that it didn't matter what he said to me on the way home. I weren't bothered what he felt. It was what Dario, Neil, what Steve, what their opinion was the one that mattered. And then I guess, I think my dad probably then become almost a supporter of my career and just there to bounce off and didn't offer any words of wisdom, so to speak, because he, he, I think he realised straight away that the level of, of the coaching staff that, that we mentioned there were, were, were above and beyond the knowledge he had. I don't think anyone could honestly say that they really that they saw Steve Holland ending up where he is today and being serious about it at the time. But how long did it take to realise just how good he was? Yeah, again, I, I reflect on that, Steve. And I think at the time, I it was my first taste of a professional academy. So you assume that, that that's standard practice for every academy coach. And I was like, wow, this is, this is high-level stuff. But I'll be honest, the, the more and more I saw, and particularly as I went on through my career, I realised this guy's, this guy's as good as there is. And, and what I'd say is, is people will talk to me about Dario, Steve, Neil, Terry McPhillips, other coaches at the club at the time, and, and who was ranked where and so on. For me, Steve was the best. And, I, and I, I can't speak highly enough of the man. I really can't. He's, for me, he's, he's, um, he's a huge influence on me as a coach. But in terms of what he did, his, his sessions, um, there was all, learning always took place at every session that, that, that went on at Crew. Learning always took place. And it sounds an obvious thing to say. However, in my career, the amount of sessions that I had once I left Crew where no learning took place, it was purely an activity to just keep you ticking over between games. So the learning always took place. Now, in Dario's case, the learning would take place and, and more often than not, there was there was a good bit of fun involved. In Bates's case, and I know Bates has had a bit of stick on there about some of his sessions, but Bates's sessions, there was a lot of real good detail that went into them and the learning always take, took place. Now, what I'd say is in Bates's session, he wasn't too fussed about whether fun was had. Now, where, for me, where Steve excelled, and, and even speaking to people who, who, were, who were working under him now and, and, and during his time at Chelsea, he, he excelled at maximum learning taking place, but also maximum fun as well. So there were sessions that, as players you wanted to be part of, you wanted to be involved with. Um, and if it was that we were having sort of small group work and a group were going with this coach, a group were going with that coach, everyone was fingers crossed that they were going with Steve. So... It's kind of, it's fantastic to see where he's come and where he's got to, but not a total surprise. And, and that's not a total surprise, even during his time as, as, for want of a better word, a failed crew manager, for want of a better word, it still doesn't surprise me because he's an extremely intelligent man. He's got fantastic emotional intelligence. He knows the game inside out. He studies the game inside out. He can communicate really well. And, 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 and he's got, he's, whilst he's got an assuredness about him, he's got a good humility. So it's no surprise to me. And, and, and you, you know, I mentioned his, his time at Crew. I think that, that time at Crew was a, a tough gig for him or for anyone who would have taken the, the team at that time. At that time, it, obviously, following on from, from Dario, who, who's, you know, got a huge presence. And Dario was still around the place at the time. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been an easy easy task as it was but then I think you add to that and you guys will know probably better than me because I, I was away from the club at this stage but the crew crew um, recouped a lot of money for Nicky Maynard and 
um, Luke Varney during that period that was during Steve's tenure. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'd hazard a guess it was three between three and five million. So they recouped that amount of money and I don't think they invested it any more than one million. So I don't know any league one side or at that stage who, who could have lost four million pounds worth of talent and still had any success. So I think it was it was a tough time for him. And, and I know Steve will, will own that period. He, he wouldn't make excuses and he'd own that. But knowing him as well, I know he'll reflect on that and, and learn from it. At one of the, um, at Neil Baker's night, I actually asked him that question about the, about the talent coming through at the time or what we didn't have coming through, for want of a better phrase. And he said exactly what you just said, that it, it, was, it was a job that he knew he was going to take, but he just got it at the wrong time. Are you still in touch with Steve Holland? Richard? I don't want to jump too far ahead, but yes, Steve, Steve, um, I've, I've got a real good relationship with Steve, but not, I'm not close, close with him. He's just someone I, I hold in such high regard because uh, when I was in my time at crew, I always found him a really good coach. I loved his sessions. Uh, I had a massive amount of respect for what he'd done for me as a player, but I didn't have a massive rapport with him. Um, and I didn't feel like I was one of his, his, his players want of a better phrase because realistically I wasn't you know a top top player at the academy or or when I went into the first team so so we never had a massively strong report at that stage now if, if I fast forward again towards the back end of my career and when I wanted to to go down the coaching route or I knew it was time to go down the coaching route um I didn't want to do the crew way uh, sorry the, the crew way straight away so I knew I had had an insight into the crew way and I knew that I'd stand me in good stead. But I felt if I, if I went and got a job straight in Cruise Academy that I'd just only know that way of working. Now, I was applying for jobs elsewhere um, and, and putting my CV into the likes of Wolves, West Brom, um, Aston Villa, clubs around my way. And, and, you know, people were replying saying, as soon as something comes up, we'll give you a shout, blah, blah, blah. But the one place I didn't touch was, was Stoke, at which point Steve Holland was the academy director at that stage. And, and again, my dad said to me, have you got in touch with Steve? And I said, no, 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 I, I don't want to get in touch. I want to make my own way. And he said, well, you've been daft. The worst you do is, is you, you pick, you know, he says no or whatever. And it is what it is. So anyway, long story short, I rang Steve and he said to me, um, where are you now? How quickly can you get to the Britannia Stadium? So met Steve 25 minutes later. He said, look, I've got an under-11s vacancy going. He said, I don't know you as a coach. He said, but I know you as a bloke. You're a good bloke and I want good people around the place. Anyway, that was on the Thursday. Um, it was a, a quite a, a clinical conversation of which at that stage, you know, I was not unfamiliar with having quite a clinical conversation with Steve and it was quite clinical. Facts, facts, you turn up next week. This is what you'll do. Um, off you go. And that, that was on the Thursday. On the Saturday, I was at, at Dean's wedding, Dean Ashton's wedding. Um, and Steve, Steve was there. So again, I, at the time, I thought, you know, I'm having a few beers. And the last thing I want is my, my new boss just on the table next to me. And, and I've got to say, it was different. It was first class. We had a good chat. And then when I, when I walked up at Stoke for my first session, he was absolutely superb with me. Different class. And, and he's, he's a... For me, he's a real good, genuine bloke who, who will look after everyone 
he's who's worked with him and he'll go out of his way to support people and, and help people up and, and give him advice. Um, and I, I really appreciated what Steve did for me at Stoke. Now we weren't together too long. Um, obviously he moved on and had a, a fantastic opportunity at Chelsea, did extremely well in his various roles with the club, but was always on hand if I picked up the phone, if I dropped him a message and, and always gets back to me. I know exactly how busy he'll be. Um, and, you know, the world's a busy place for all of us, but I'd imagine when you've got the roles and responsibility that Steve has, it's even more busy, but he always gets back to me, always gives me time. During lockdown, I, I sort of had a, a chat with him in, 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 a, in this sort of format, if you like, one-to-one, and, and he, he gave me everything I asked and, and, and more. Um, so, listen, I, I can't speak highly enough of, of Steve, A, as the professional, but B, most importantly, as, as the man, and, and I've got, got no... No doubts about it that, that he hasn't reached the top of his career um, at the moment. I think there's a lot more to come from him, I really do. Before you played a game for the first team, am I right in saying you went on a loan spell to Northwich Vicks? That's correct, yeah. I had two loan spells. The first was at Northwich Victoria, um, who were in the, the conference at the time. And the next one was at Hells Owen, that was either the Conference North or the Conference South, so it won't be low, but... Yeah, the first one was at Northwich Victoria and I, I really enjoyed it there. Uh, it was my first taste of men's football and, and it stood me in good stead. Um, you know, you look at academy football, there's a lot of good stuff go, that goes on and, and a lot of good stuff that was going on. But particularly in the position I played, I think that the acid test of whether you'd, you'd be able to stand up to, to the first team was playing men's football. So that was, uh, for me, a, a vital part of, of my education and my development. Um, former crew player Mark Gardner was the, the manager at the time and uh, he, again he, he gave me an opportunity at Northwich and, and it, was, it, was, it was successful in the sense of um, my level of my performances and the, the feedback that the, the club received and the, the reports that we were getting from, from the scouts that were watching me so that was um, you know that was, that was a real real big part of, uh, of my development With your loan I mean we are going to go on to your coaching later we've just touched on it before um, but when you're coaching the youngsters at Stoke now, is a loan spell still something that you see as a vital part of their education or has that sort of moved away from the game now? No, we think it's, we think it's huge. Um, our loans manager is a, a, a guy called Dave Hibbert who assists the under-23s with Kevin Russell and he, he also acts as our loans manager. Now, we think it's massive that uh, our players encounter men's football as, as early as, as they're, they're, they're ready for and what their individual sort of development um, stage is right for them. But just to give you an idea, last last year um, or last season, should I say, of our 23 scholars that we had, 20 of them encountered non-league loans. So that was last season pre-COVID. And, and the range of, of clubs we had was... Um, Nantwich Town was one of the higher ones, but we'd go to Stone Old Alanians um, and everything in between, Market Drayton Town, Leet Town. So we've had good relationships with Bates. Bates is a, a great one to, to put the kids with because we know they'll get you know expert advice and also we, we massively value the feedback of what Bates will give us. So for me, it's, it's huge. So again, I mentioned about academy football and what it gives and it gives an awful lot. But I don't think a player going straight from the academy to first team, I think there's a potential gap in the learning that we could miss out on. Now, if you're a midfield player and you go into 
into the big bad world of, of men's football, suddenly winning second balls becomes even more important than it is. And, and winning second balls is a, is a fundamental at any level and in any, any game, but particularly in men's football. So it's a massive part of that, having to, 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 to hook the ball on, having to help the ball on, having to support the front player when it goes into him. It's huge. As, as a fullback, you're getting increased amount of crosses because they'll encourage you to cross from deeper areas to, to a big centre-forward. Um, centre-halves, again, I, I talk about my my journey, and that was in an academy game, you might head 20 balls. You go into a, a men's game at, at non-league level, you're probably heading closer to, to 50 or, or so on. Um, as a centre forward, you got to hold the ball up. So I could go on all day, but for me, it's it's a huge part of 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 their of, of their journey, or as best as possible as, as a player's journey. But alongside a, an academy program, and again, it's got to be well thought out and 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 good good thought to where they're going, why they're going there, and and for how long. If we go back to your uh, early career, then, Rich, um, you were in the last two seasons of the first spell in the championship. That was when you started getting into the first team, in and around the first team. I've got here that you played four games in those two years for the first team. Was that frustrating for you, or did you see that as you were biding your time, you were learning? You know, obviously, Steve McCauley's there. There's a lot of good centre backs there as well, not just Steve McCauley. What was your impression? Yeah, it was frustrating. And I always felt I was really close. But I also knew that the players you mentioned were probably ahead of me at that stage. Now, my initial opportunity arose. Um, my debut was away at Preston. And uh, there was a lot of injuries at the time centre-halves. So I think going into that game, there was every, every centre-half we had was almost dropping, dropping out like flies. So that opportunity come due to circumstances and not necessarily that I'd kick down the door to, to be given an opportunity. Um, now, I, I, I did actually do quite well in that game and, and it was certainly one that Dario was pleased with and publicly said, you know, pleased that he stepped in and, and, and how well he did. Now, I knew I weren't going to play the next game. So on the Monday, that was on the Friday, we played Preston. It was live on Sky. And on the Monday, we had Stockport in the Cheshire Senior Cup. Um, and I was in the side that played in the Cheshire Senior Cup, so it was perfectly clear straight away I weren't going to be playing in, in, in the first team the next week. But I probably knew that I wasn't ready to stake a claim week in, week out. But I really hoped over the next sort of year or two that I could maybe get a, a few ones of games together. Um, and that wasn't the case. But again, I, I was always quite internalised a lot of stuff and, and would look at myself first and foremost and go, what, what are you doing to really, really make sure you, that you're in the team and you, you're breaking in and you, you're giving the manager no other option that, than to play. And, and I, I think the answer was, I wasn't, I wasn't doing enough. Um, you know, I always thought I was fine and doing okay in training and in games, but I think the players that were ahead of me deserve to be ahead of me at that stage, if, if I'm being perfectly honest. So then you were one of the few people, though, at the end of the, the relegation season to get offered a new deal. Um, I wrote down some names of players who were released that year, and it's quite a list. Sean Smith, Steve McCauley, Phil Charnock, Colin Little, Jeff Thomas, Kevin Street. What had you done to earn the new deal? Did you see it as a way of sort of like the squad regenerating with younger players that Dario had in mind? Yeah, again, I was reflecting on this earlier, and, and I think it was it was a real sort of... I guess changing of the guard really, and and like you said that that 
that that group moved on, and there was a lot of senior players and strong characters that moved on. I did feel like it it, it was it was sort of you know a, a younger, fresher group that was coming in and 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 coming into the group. In in answer to your question, I think Crew always had a, a good medium and long term strategy that a lot of other clubs wouldn't have. And now, so so I think there was always a, a succession plan, be it documented or, or otherwise. I think there was always a succession plan that Dario and, and his, his staff would have in place and the club would have in place. So obviously I was part of that succession plan that Dario felt if called upon to be relied upon and that was someone that, you know, potentially could go and flourish within the first team, uh, particularly as it was in League One, as it, as it was at the time. Um, and I think... You know, in, in any in any walk of life, in any industry, I think we've all probably encountered in our, our, our respective workplaces where when a lot of strong characters move move on, suddenly a lot of other people can step up and, and perhaps um, show themselves a little bit more, feel a little bit more empowered. Uh, and I think that's what happened. Um, so that season that you've just mentioned, the promotion season, if you like, there was Brams, Dave Walton, maybe Clayton still around it. They were mid to late 20s. The rest of us were 22, 23 at the oldest, at the eldest and, and down to 17, 18. So it was a really young, young group and probably not scarred by relegation because I think you can go down as a club and there'd be a real hangover. And I don't think there was any hangover because I remember going to Malta pre-season and it was fresh because everyone were kind of thinking this is... This is my opportunity. This is my season to shine. Um, and, and I must admit, I was probably the player that, that benefited most from that. I have so much time for Steve McCauley and, and Sean and Jeff and, and, and the, the guys you mentioned. Um, but, you know, once they moved on, I, I really felt it was my time to, to try, try and force my way in and stay in and, and kick on from there. Um, and as it was pre-season, that, that pre-season, I could sense that, Initially, Dario was really keen to to get me in. Um, I think Sodji had just played in the World Cup in the summer, so I think Sodji's Sodji was starting to look elsewhere. Um, his head he'd come late back from pre-season, which was planned. It weren't him, you know, not turning up for pre-season, but he'd come late back. So I kind of stole a march there early on in pre-season. I think Dario was really keen to play me, and I think he was quite excited. For want of a better word, he was quite excited, I think, about putting me in. And, and I think Foz and me and, and Dave Walton were, were vying for, for two places. But I also saw that he was playing Foz at, at fullback in a few games as well pre-season. Now, I think the close we got to the first game of the season, I, I think Dario started getting a little bit jittery um, and and kind of backing away from, from me playing. Um and and as it was, Sodji started the season. I'm sure it was at Northampton. I think FA started the season, and 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 I didn't actually travel to Northampton, so that that was really a real kick in the teeth. We we played Northampton first game, and after being in the round it pre-season, um, I didn't start the season. Um, so I was I weren't even involved. We, we drew at Northampton, I think. Then we yeah, played. One, one. Yeah. Then then we played Notts County at home. And, I, and we stunk the place out. And again, I wasn't involved, but we were we were dreadful. The next game, I think, was Colchester at home. And it was a 2-2 draw. And I'll come on in the game at, at Colchester. I come on against Colchester as a sub. 
um, and Saji Burton had come in. Saji Burton was on a short-term contract. Saji moved on. I think he had an opportunity to go... Played one game, I think, yeah. Right, OK. So Saji moved on to Peterborough. And the next game was Huddersfield away. Um, and that's when I, I, I started. Um, Andy Booth, Huddersfield had a decent side. And Aidy Moses was with him then. Eddie Yowds, Kenny Irons, Andy Booth, Kemi Sharp. You know, they, they had a... a, a a good good side, but they hit financial troubles that season, and I think they'd have been higher up than they were. So we played at Huddersfield, drew one all. It was a decent away point, um, and then the next game was at home to Cheltenham, and Foz had played at fullback against Huddersfield, um, but Dario moved Foz inside to play alongside me and, and dropped um, FA. So I remember Dario pulling me and and said, "Look, I'm I'm playing you instead of Sodji tomorrow against Cheltenham." He said the fans aren't going to like it because he's he's the fans' favourite. He said so. Uh, he said, "Don't go getting twitchy on me, because if you get twitchy, I'll start getting twitchy and I'll have to bring you off." And and that was just Dario being Dario and and just shooting from the hip and just saying how it was. And, and as it was, I had a good game the next night and and then sort of stayed in for a good number of games and and I think I clocked up about thirty eight games throughout that season. But yeah, that that was a period where we had a lot of clean sheets on the bounce. It was. Uh, and a real good, probably the fondest season of my career. We had the best best players in the league, um, best you know. So it was it was a privilege to play in that team. It really was. We obviously knew we had a decent squad before the season, but was it ever an aim to go up, or was it never? Or did anyone ever really mention it beforehand? Um, I tell you, I tell you, we mentioned it. It was funny. I heard um, Brams Brams will divide opinions. Brams, um, and he was a real strong character and he could rub people up the wrong way he was a good player as we as we'd all probably testify um and a real strong character and he, he'd dig people out he'd go after people and it 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 sometimes it's kind of it it kind of dig people out it belittle is the wrong word but he could let you know if you weren't at it but he would say that we had the best squad in the league and i think that was quite influential we were a young group and whether you like rams or not which some didn't, um, others weren't decided, and some did. Now, whether you liked him or not, people people had listened to what he said, and and he, he believed we'd go up. Now, Ulsi had, had done well previously in the Championship. Dino had done well in the Championship. So we knew we had firepower. Rams was probably, in our mind, one of the best midfielders in the league. So you're kind of going, I think we have got a chance but a lot of uncharted territory for a lot of us in the squad and in the side at the time, including myself. Um, but with that youth is, is I guess that that's kind of no fear aspect of let's go in, get on with it and, and back ourselves, get on the ball, play, do what we've got to do. So earlier, I'd say fairly early on, Rams was probably the first one who started talking about promotion. And, and because he was such a strong character and influential figure, I think people started jumping on the back of it. Um, and in his own way, he'd start saying exactly why. And again, pointing to the firepower we had, pointing to the energy we had. You know, Kenny had played all his career at, at, in the championship at that stage. So, that, so certainly League One was no problem to Kenny. So, um, yeah, Dario, I can't recall whether he mentioned it or not, but he's not kind of doesn't, he never usually talk about what our aims and goals of the season were. It's more kind of, who he wanted to get through into the team and how we'd play and, and 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 the rest will take care of itself sort of thing. Yeah, he never really sort of came across as like relegation's a big problem. If we go down, it's the end of the world. It was all about this is the project, this is what we're doing. 
with Dario. That's what it came across to as me anyway. That's exactly how it was, Stuart. Yeah, exactly how it was. Everything was, and, and that was, it was strange. I mean, I look back and in the tunnel at Gresty Road, there's the changing room. You go out the changing room, there's the tunnel kind of opposite. And if you come out the home changing room doing right, there's a players, players lounge on your first right. And the lads who come in from other clubs couldn't believe what the pre-match sort of, how relaxed the pre-match vibe was around the, 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 the changing room. You know, tradition in football is you have your music on as loud as you can. People are sort of banging the drum and sounding the bugle sort of thing. And and you, you get in your kit as early as possible. You put Vaseline and, on your eyebrows and DP on whatever and, and go from there. Whereas at crew, it was totally different. You, the lads would be just sort of relaxing in the, the players' lounge next to the changing room, just watching the, the game. And literally sort of two minutes before the warm-up, people are just sort of jogged next door to the changing room put the boots on and out they go. And the likes of Aidy, Colin Murdoch and Gareth Taylor, they couldn't believe what they were seeing. But that was crew because really there's a lot of stuff that can go on in football that actually doesn't necessarily impact the performance. And Dario was quite relaxed on whatever process people took. As long as when they went out on the pitch, they performed, it didn't matter. So Dario was kind of relaxed in that sense and, and everything to do with it was, was chilled. Like you say, it, it weren't a disaster if you lost the game. But if someone, if, if, if you won a game and someone, you know, whacked a ball in behind and that ran out for a goal kick, the world had ended, you know, because that wasn't what we did, you know, and that's just how he was. You, there were never any any real real pressure felt as players or, or from, for, for, from Dario. It, it never felt that way. We all wanted to win, make no bones about it, including Dario, we wanted to win. Um, but it wasn't the be-all and end-all. Rich, you and I have spoken before we did this about one of the games that sticks out in my head when you mentioned Rich Walker that season. Um, before we get onto that, though, I'd like to do the opposite and say, is there any games that stick out for positive reasons in that 2002-2003 season? Um, Mansfield away. Yeah, Mansfield away. I think it was probably my third or fourth start that season. Um, and and we ran riot. I can't remember if it's six or five. Five. Five, five, five yeah. And I got the first goal. That was my first goal in league football, um, and and uh, it was it was kind of like wow, this is this is brilliant. We went there. We 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 totally ran riot. We were we were solid defensively. We it was a windy day. I remember we dealt with what we had to deal with in terms of. I mean, Andy White was up front with them with with Eyes and Christie, so that they posed their own threat. But we nullified them. Um, Rodney was outstanding on the day. I think Alsi was 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 terrific as well. Rams in midfield with Kenny. It, it was everything went right. And like I said, that was my first goal. So that season, that was was one, and 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 that was a, a real sort of high note. Um, and then obviously the, the game at QPR was 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 like something else. And and that was a probably they were the, the two that stood out. I mean QPR um, was one where I knew going into it we, we probably needed the win. I think we all felt we need the win. Um, I can't remember who Cardiff were playing, but Cardiff were, were playing elsewhere and were well fancied. I don't know if it's Peter, but I, 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 I think off the top of my head, Bristol, was it Bristol City? I think it was Bristol City, yeah, because they were up there as well. Okay. And it was the four of us were playing each other sort of thing that day. Okay, right. I'll bow down to your superior knowledge on that one. Um, <laughs> but, nerdiness, I think it is, Rich. Right, okay. Sad. Well, we, we, um, I felt we needed a win. I couldn't help but think we would need a win. And um, obviously we had a, a, a large contingent behind the goal, but 
I think Stephen Kelly was sent off first. So they were down to 10 men. Then it was Clark Carlisle, I think it was. And in the end, I was kind of collecting the ball off Clayton, walking up to the halfway line and kind of literally handing it over to, to Kenny or Vams to go and start the next next attack on their goal. And we, we, we couldn't break through. And I couldn't pick up off the crew fans whether we were up or not. And now, QPR that day needed to to win or needed a point to get into the playoffs. So at the end of the game, they they made, had a pitch invasion. We sprinted off and I remember getting into the tunnel and, and Ian Holloway was in there and he, he said to me, he said, you, you got it, you, you promoted. Um, and then obviously that, you know, the, the celebrations followed. But yeah, I think they were they were probably the, t- the two real, real high notes that season for sure. I think you've picked out two of the uh, the highlights for me as well that season as well. Mansfield away, absolutely different level to them. And then, uh, yeah, QPR. And then the other one for me personally would be Luton away. But anyway. You're completely off. I don't want to go around this. What was that bus journey back like from QPR? It was, yeah. it was all sealed and delivered. Oh, it was brilliant. But again, I mean, I mentioned that, I know it's been discussed before on, on, the, on, the, on the podcast, but we got on... We were so young and naive. It's it's like we, we got got promoted, and it was kind of like I mean, Foz mentioned it, it's like, well, what do we do? So we got in the changing rooms, and we you know jumped around, hugged each other, what you did, and and then um, again, it was Brams who'd been around the block a little bit in comparison to the rest of us. So we're like, right, let's get up to the players' lounge and get a crate of lager. So even that, the the the, the hold that Dario had over all of us, I think I think you'd always see, you'd always feel like that. 13-year-old boy who, who was in the academy when you were walking on, to the, you know, when you were around Dario. So when you're walking on with a crate of lager, regardless of whether you've just got promoted or not, you, you're still half anticipated. He might say, what do you think you're doing? Get off this coach or something like that, you know? So anyway, Brams was 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 brought the, the crate on and, and we, we ploughed into that. Um, and then obviously we were in our tracksuits and it was like, right, where are we going after this? And it was... It was Nantwich Road, and then we ended up in Steam. I don't know if you if you remember Steam. We ended up in Steam for, for our sins. So it was, uh, but yeah, the coach was buzzing, and, and there was a lot of crew coaches that were sort of kind of neck and neck with us, overtaking us. We were overtaking them, so you could see the the crew fans on the way home. So it was um, it was a, a real fantastic experience. And again, I had family at the game who were you know who, who were buzzing, and, and it was uh, no, it was superb, and and. and I remember Dario was at the front and I think Bram started singing. Dario had said to us, if we got promoted, we'd go back to Malta because pre-season we'd had a trip to Malta and we, we loved it. It was fantastic from a training point of view, but also team bonding, etc. It, it was really good. And, you know, we started chanting, uh, we're all going to Malta. And, and Dario still still loved, he loved that shout. He was like, well, they, they want to go to Malta. They're going to Malta. As it was, we, were, we went to Portugal, which was... Equally as good, but yeah, Dario always recalls about us shouting about going to Malta. So it was, listen, it was, it was fantastic. And I, I you know, you probably, probably tell by my enthusiasm. I, I look back on that, that with real fondness. Yeah, absolutely great day, that one. Um, if I can change the tone slightly, Rich, to uh, Wait for this. the other day, that <laughs> um, I'll set the scene for you about how I'd experienced the day that so far. Um, I'd been out, I was 18 that season. It was a perfect season of me. I had no responsibilities. I went to every game. I'd been out on the Friday night um, before the game, had a little bit too much to drink, woke up with a stinking hangover, 
got on the train to Wigan, fell asleep, got woken up when we were getting into Wigan, walked to the ground, felt awful. Game kicks off. This is it. We're going to beat them. We're going to challenge for the title. Rich, you had a 10-minute working day that day. What happened? Well, I think 10's been generous. I think it was actually eight. But um, yeah, I mean, again, like yourself, it was obviously a, a big game and uh, they had invested a lot and they had a, a good side out. Um, I think they had Jason Roberts at the time. Did they have Jason Roberts? And, Jason and, Roberts and Ellington, yeah. Ellington, yeah. Yeah, yeah Nathan, uh, yeah. Jason Roberts, Nathan Ellington, Tony Dinning, um, Jimmy Bullard, Leighton Bain. They had a right good squad. Um, so we knew it was a, a big game, as, as obviously you guys did. Um, and I can't recall too much about the early early exchanges, but I don't think there was much in the game. But I knew they were always lively. They always started bright, got it forward quickly and and, and so on. Um, but basically, I think Tony Dinning was, had, had ran off someone from, from deep. Ball's running through and... and I, for me, it was it was just ushering an opponent out and good defending in my eyes, and then the rest blown. And I think everyone looked a little bit surprised. Um, and obviously, he's blown to give the penalty. Um, and then obviously, that he sent me off as a, as a result of it. So, yeah, that was an absolute wounder. And then again, I made my way into the changing room, and and John Fleet was 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 putting the tidying the dressing room away, and he kind of looked as if what are you doing here? Um, and he had the local radio uh, station on BBC Wigan or whatever it was that was, was doing the commentary of the game. So he was tidying the changing room with the, the, the radio station on that. The initial thing, the commentators, sorry, as, as I've got in, you heard the cheer from the penalty that was converted. So straight away, I'm going, oh, great. We're off to a, a disastrous start. Um, that probably made your hangover even worse, but as, as that's gone in and, and, Fleet, he's kind of looked at me and probably got the look of, not now, John. He's kind of got back to what he's doing. And then the the, the, the commentator or, or whatever who's reporting the game said, um, the Latics off to a fantastic start due to a, a ridiculously dubious penalty. Um, never a penalty and, and Walker sent off. So I thought, yeah, that's, that's how I recalled it. And he's recalled it that way. So I'm thinking, okay, What's Dario going to think? So I've sat in the change room, got, eventually got showered, changed, and just sat there for what felt like the longest 45, 48 minutes, whatever it was in my life. And the teams come in and, and they all look uh, shattered. Um, and then they've sat down and, and Dario's not made eye contact with me. And I'm, I'm still thinking, is he in a mood of me? Is he annoyed at me? What's going on? Um and then he's having a go at Rodney because Rodney's he's on about how Rodney's got to track track his man and, and get back in and then he's got to get forward and and Rodney's really agitated by this and eventually Rodney said, Well, it's hard work, you know, it's hard work. And and Dario went, Yes, it is hard work. It's hard work because that twerp's got himself sent off. And <laughs> and that was that was at the point I thought, oh no, he's not happy. And then anyway, as it was. He, as we're walking out half time, he's kind of said to the steward, "Can you find my one of my players somewhere to watch the game or watch the second half upstairs?" But yeah, that was that was a tough one. And, and as it was, we we peeled the red card and, and I got off with it. But yeah, listen, my dad, my dad was a salesman um, in his early career, and he took great pride in knowing, you know, exactly where he was going by via about four different Haynes maps of different places. So he'd always be punctual and on time everywhere. 
Um, didn't need a sat-nav, never needs a sat-nav. He's got all these books. Um, but my dad turned up late to Wigan and he, he probably, I can imagine how annoyed he'd have been with himself because he was always early, always on time. And he said, I just got to the top of the stairs and I've literally, my mum was with him and he said, he's been sent off. My mum were like, what, what? And the rest just stood over me holding the red card as I, I exit the pitch. So it sounds like uh, a bad day for everyone involved, Stuart. It was easily still to this day the worst refereeing decision that i've ever seen from a crew game yeah uh, this wasn't our day at all was it the second one was an own goal yeah and then yeah. well i was going to mention the home game later on against wigan we just didn't really have any luck against them because sodji was sent off in that one I'm fairly sure he kicks one in the stomach for his second yellow that's card right. that's right yeah that was do, you, yeah. do you remember what dario said to effie after the wigan sending off because he was sent off after about 12 minutes when he kung fu someone in the chest. And he was already on the bucket. Yeah, Yeah, that was like after 10 minutes. He obviously didn't fancy it either. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers, Steve. No, I remember, like you say, it was his second booking, so it was a bizarre one, weren't it? And I think after he got booked first, I'm sure, because Dario was one that if if someone had got a yellow card, Dario would would think nothing of subbing him and not run the risk of, of a second booking. And I'm sure Dario had prepped the sub and not done the sub. I don't know if it was Chris McCready, but he'd prepped the sub and, and not not made it. Um, and obviously Sodji, Sodji got sent off. But um, I think there's a, a few of the lads had, had voiced their disapproval with, with Sodji before kind of Dario had got there. Because um, it was a it was a bit of a bizarre one and a bit of a, a strange one that, that obviously... Like you say, a top of the table clash made made things pretty tough going. While we're on the subject of refereeing decisions, I've I've seen that quite a few times on the Golden Goals video, and that one against Steve Jones of the penalty is one of the worst I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He ends up giving a giving him giving us a corner, I think, but he just shoves him over in the middle of the box. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it. I remember it well. Rich, I'm going to move on now to back to the championship days. Um, and I'm just going to sort of ask a general question about the three years that you spent playing for crew there. Obviously, at the end of the promotion season, Dave Walton goes off to join Derby, uh, replaced by A.D. Moses. And then the next year, you already mentioned Colin Murdoch joined. You spent about, or you played about half of the games in the league over those next three seasons, about 20, 25 games per season. Did you ever feel like you'd fully cemented your place in that crew defence or were you always sort of waiting to be dropped almost? Yeah, I think that probably sums it up, Stuart, I'll be honest. Um, I think during that period, during my whole time at the club, Foz was always number one centre-half and, and from my, in my opinion, rightly so, I thought he was, he was top draw. Now, um, Foz was always number one centre-half and then it was almost a, a revolving door of myself, AD. Um, Chris McCready, Sodji, who would partner Foz during that period. So usually it ended up that maybe I'd be in for eight games, would get dropped. Um, AD would be in for, for eight games, get dropped or injured or whatever. And, and then Macca, and it was just sort of that, that kind of is how it felt. I think you'd always hope that, you'd always hope as a player that, you you get in and stay in and, and do enough that you'd convince the manager that that you were the one to 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 partner Foz and you were the one to to stay in. Um, but I must admit there was I think there was a few players and you, you all know them in every squad where there's the ones that need to play at their very best to stay in the team and and I think I fell under that category the, that that category. Now 
again, I think that's just football. That's the harsh reality of how it is. I think as a player, you often don't necessarily want that hanging over your head that you, you can't afford to have one off day. But but that's is how it what that's is how it is. And David would have picked the team however he felt fit. Again, sort of general question. Um, we've seen really that crew the reality of the size of the club. Um, you know, it's not really a, a, a club that can uh, compete with the budgets, the wages, etc., the fan numbers into the gates that we get in the championship. But those years we did compete. What do you put that down to? What would you say is the main reason why we were able to sort of stay in the championship eight years out of nine? Yeah, listen, I think Dario's a top manager. He, you know, I think he is a top manager and got, and got the best out of a lot of players. Um, so he certainly deserves immense amount of credit. We mentioned about the calmness around the place, that there wasn't, there wasn't a drama when we were flying high. There wasn't um, a drama when we were down the bottoms. So, so there was a nice, a nice sort of leveled, um, a leveled atmosphere that was conducive to, to young players coming in and playing and not feeling pressurised. And, and that leads me to, to, I guess, what is the main reason I think that the club was so successful was probably it was the peak of the academy in terms of what was coming out of the academy. And probably bearing the fruits, if you trace it all the way back to the initial David Platt, Rob Jones days, and, and when it first starts taking off, you then get Alexandra Park, Reese Teeth as it is, whatever it's known as. Um, you're then getting maybe 10 years beyond that before you, you bear the fruits of your, your under nines that are coming through. So I think if you look at if you look at the groups either side of me, two years older than me was Seth Johnson. Obviously, Seth Johnson moved on before this, this kind of era, what we're talking about. But Seth was two years above me. In my year, there was Foss. The year below me, um, sorry, the year above me, sorry, was Ulsi, was Kenny, Dave Wright. There were three good players who all played in the Premier League. The, the year below me was Chris McCready. The year below that was Ben Ricks, David Vaughan. Um, and then you got Dean No coming through as well. So for me, that period was probably... Um, a real real sort of productive time for the academy, arguably the most. And I don't mean in terms of, um, without selling myself short, but the likes of Chris McCready, myself, maybe the, uh, Ben Ricks, not necessarily the ones that went in and played in the team but didn't, didn't go on, but the likes of Vaughney, who, who was in there doing really well. Um, in addition to the, the homegrown academy boys, the recruitment from the non-league circuit, Steve Jones from Lee RMI, Luke Varney, um, did really well uh, again sorry going back to the academy Nicky Maynard coming through doing well so for me that period arguably the most productive in terms of years of uh, uh, consecutive years of producing real good good solid players that would go on um, and play it in the Premier League in the case of them players I mentioned and that all comes really from Dario. Um, although, Rich, you've mentioned uh, that you want to talk, talk about his video analysis skills. I believe there's a story there. Is that right? Yeah, well, listen, I, I, I look back and I must admit I was, I was driving home today and I, I'm reminiscing and, and I thought, what, what's quite amusing about my time there? And, and the one thing that we, we joke about as players when we get together uh, that comes up is, is Dario's video analysis sessions and there were, there were a slog as a player because if if you'd played in the game, no matter how well you did, on a Monday you'd sit through the entire entire 90 minutes that by the time it had been stopped, rewound, started again, fast forward, 
it was a two-hour two-hour session. And no matter how well you played, there was always going to be that moment that that would really knock Dario that he'd come down on you about. Now, if you hadn't played, there were there were ten times worse because you'd have watched the game from either the bench or the stand on the the, the weekend, and then then you had to sit through it before you were going out to train for for, for two hours or whatever it was. So um, for all Dario was forward thinking and how he did it, he, he was poor at mastering the remote for one reason or the other. Whether whether the buttons were too small, I don't know, but. Um, the one, the, f- the first one that that jumps to mind was Justin. Now, Justin was never one of Dario's favourites, and poor Justin, you, you always knew when you were going to get dropped for the Tuesday game because you, he'd go out of his way on the Saturday uh, when reviewing the Saturday's game to really pick fault. So he's gone after Justin on a couple of things, and then the next one, he, he's he's pressed the the sort of slow motion button. I don't know if they have it on tellies now, but back in the day, it was a VHS or DVD, whatever it was, it was a slow motion button. So so Justin's recovering back in and he's he's running in slow motion. So Dario's kind of looked at us all and, and shaking his head. Look, he's, he's jogging back in. He's walking. He's walking. So Justin's gone, Dario, it's in slow motion. And he's gone, oh, that's the thing. He's always got an excuse. He's always got an excuse. So, so poor Justin was getting hammered for walking when, when in fact, Dario's got it in slow motion. So that was Justin's one. And then the one for myself was um, we played Ipswich. Um, I think we lost the game 2-1 at Gresty Road. And um, Richard Naylor was, was the centre forward for Ipswich that day. He could play at the back, but he played centre forward. Now, early on in the game, I'd, I'd done a sort of strong tackle that was... I guess the one that you know a, a player would quite enjoy, the fans would probably enjoy, but Dario wouldn't enjoy. Where you've got the ball, no fouls been given, but you're left a bit on the player. So, so I've, I've done them that sort of challenge. And I remember Dario sort of shaking his head without saying anything. But towards the back of the the the, the crowd was Luke Varney, Gary Roberts, Stu Tomlinson, who hadn't played in the fixture, were, were probably bored stiff. And, and one of them's gone boom as I've made this tackle, which I could see really not Dario, but he's not said anything. So game rolls on and then I've given a free kick away. And, and what actually happened, it was slightly out of, out of shot, but Richard Naylor's laid the ball off. As he's spun, me being slow on the turn, I've kind of just got my arm across his chest. But however, rather than hitting his chest, I've, I've clawed him in the face. So Richard Naylor went down, the refs, spotted it, the ref's given a free kick, so Dario's kind of like, what, what, why is the ref given a free kick? So he's, he's rewound it, he's seen the, the foul that I've done and he's he's absolutely battered me he's like, that is not how we defend you do not play like that in this club, how dare you? And I'm like, yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> so yeah Dario, sorry it won't happen again Dario, blah 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 so uh, he, he's not happy about that it then, he, he then goes on, so we watch, let's say three or four minutes more of the, the game but then there's an incident he wants to rewind. So he rewinds it about seven or eight minutes, but doesn't have a clue what's going on. So we, we're watching the, the game back that we've already watched. So then we get to the stage where I foul Richard Naylor. So he's gone, oh, oh, I do not. You've done it again. How many times? <laughs> so uh, before I could even defend myself, Stu Tomlinson, Luke Varney, Gary Roberts at the back, I mean, stitches. So Dario's turned around and gone, oh, so he's playing like a twerp and you think it's funny 
get out, everyone, get out. And he's, he's sent us out like we're, we're a naughty, naughty classroom in a, in a school. He sent us out to train. And we got in the changing room and, and, and the lads are absolutely cracking up. But I'm like, cheers, lad, lads. He, he's going he's gonna to hold this against me, there's no doubt. Now, coincidentally, that was actually my last game of the, for the club. Now, it was, I can guarantee it was nothing to do with that, that video. Davy wouldn't have held me that, that against me. But I must admit, I, I, we do, when we meet up, talk about how Davy was, was with that remote control. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I just say of, of all the of all the ex players that we've had on, Rich probably wins like the best Dario impression, hands down. It's probably the best one I've heard. Yeah, I fair. agree with that. I feel like you've been practicing it on the drive home today, which just to uh, <laughs> ready for you listen to those interviews on YouTube and yeah, mimicking it. <laughs> everyone's everyone's got a Dario impression. I'd I'd strongly recommend anyone who comes on ask them to do their Dario impression because everyone everyone's got one for sure. Fair enough. Um, one person you are quite well, or were quite well known to have quite a close relationship with at the time when you were playing for Crew was Dino, Dean Ashton. You just mentioned him before. Um, obviously, he went on to achieve what he did in the game. Was it fairly obvious from when you started sort of getting to know him at the club that he was going to go on to do that? Um, yeah, I'd say so. Because And again, you, you look back on things and when you don't need coaching and, and you, you reflect on things. And I remember... When I first went over from as an 18-year-old to train with the first team, maybe I was 17, 18, whatever it was, I didn't actually feel I belonged. And it took me a while to feel like I was good enough to be there, which you know, was maybe the reality that I probably was at full stretch. And I remember Dino coming over as a 15-year-old and I went out of my way and said, listen, just make sure when you go over, you believe you're good enough. And we were walking over together. I said, when you come over, make sure you believe you're good enough. And, and he kind of looked at me and were like, oh, yeah, I do. And, and it was as if, like, listen, I don't know why they've waited this long. This should have happened years ago. You know, and that, that was not an arrogance. That was just him being absolutely full of self-belief. So, so in terms of the psychological makeup of, a, of an out-and-out winner, I think probably there and then I got the first insight to what his mindset was. Yeah, I think the Steve McCauley episode, he said the first thing he did when he trained with the first team was turned him and then whacked it into the corner of the goal. So, uh, yeah, probably a, a, not an unfounded belief in himself there. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned you went to his wedding earlier. Is there anyone else from your time at Crew that you're still really close with today from, from your time from the club? Yeah, um, it was Foz, myself, um, Dino, AD and Vaughan, who... Um, you know, our wives get on well and we actually we actually socialise together a couple of times a year. And we, we've actually managed the last few years to get away to Spain in the summer. So I, I don't know how we've managed to win the lot. Obviously, last year it was cancelled to COVID, but that's something hopefully we've got um, a regular pass to get away. And that's that's uh, just the lads without the wives. So, yeah, so that's always a, a good annual event. So um, and then. Other lads I speak to, I speak to Luke Rogers a bit. Justin, obviously, I speak to Colin Little, I speak to on the, the coaching circuit. Um, so, yeah, I've got a lot of lot of people, but particularly that group I mentioned, Dino, Foz, Vaughan and Aidy are the, the ones I, I speak to the most. Just before we sort of move on from your time at Crew, um, there's something else that I think we need to address. Um, Crew players aren't really well known for their um, nicknames. You know, Steve McCauley is Macca, Sean Smith is Smithy. Dean Ashton is Dino. You're a little bit different. You're the doorman. Um, I think anyone who sort of knows what you look like can see 
why that is the case, but can you tell us how that became your nickname? I really don't know, you know. I, I'm, I wasn't sure if you guys could shed any light on it because <laughs> I'm sure it was either in a fanzine or something at the time that someone picked up on and, and it was probably Ulsi. I think maybe a fa- there was something at the time where I was referred to as the doorman and Ulsi picked up on it. And then obviously the lads quite enjoyed calling me the doorman from that point on. So yeah, that was, I think that I, that's what I think that, that one of the fanzines at the time referred to me as the doorman and, and Ulsi picked up on it and quite enjoyed calling me the doorman and everyone, everyone stuck with it. Fair enough. Um, okay, I mean, we can find out if anyone knows what that is, then get in touch. But yeah, so it's not from the club picked up by the fans, it's the fans that's picked up by the players in the club then. I think so. Yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure it was the I'm sure it was a fanzine or something right. of the fans in some way. Like yeah. Yeah. I got a question this afternoon from somebody that, I, that I'm quite good friends with. Asked me to address the issue of a of a kid's toy, something to do with an injury. Is that right? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, good one. Oh, I was moving the house and um, the house was pretty much emptied. And uh, I went upstairs. I was bringing a box down. Everything downstairs was 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 empty. It was all clear. However, my, my daughter, who's now 16, 17, sorry, was only two or three at the time. And there was a, a Barney, di- the dinosaur, quite a firm toy that was at the bottom of the steps. Now this was on the, I think it was, yeah, this was on the Thursday. We were down to play Leicester and I was starting. We were playing Leicester away on the Saturday. So I've got to the bottom of the stairs and I've got a box in my hand so I couldn't see the, the bottom step. And as I've placed my foot down at the bottom of the stairs, I've gone over on my ankle because my, my daughter's left a toy there. Um, I blame my ex-wife at the time. Um, for not keeping an eye on her, but as it was, I, I did my lig- ligaments in my ankle and was out out for a few weeks. So, yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm glad you, your mate brought that one up. <laughs> what was Dario's? What was Dario's reaction to being ruled out? Just cut on Barney the dinosaur. Can't imagine he was over the moon, was he? It's funny. I, I've got to say, when you, now I'm in my coach's shoes, I think when the good play, when the really good players get injured. It, it's a real setback, right? And sometimes there's certain players that are quite quite easily in, in and out. Now, you mentioned about the fact that there was almost... A, I mentioned about the conveyor belt of myself, Maka, AD that were going in at that time. I'll be perfectly honest. I think Dario probably went, oh, well, we'll put Maka in or we'll put AD in. I really don't think it was that much of a concern, which isn't a bad thing in some sense that I'm not going in thinking, oh no, Dario is going to hit the roof and go absolutely mad. But it would be nice if he was really, really fussed in, in another way. So you're, you mentioned a minute ago um, that your last game was against Ipswich. Um, did you know that your, your time at crew was coming to an end at the end of that season? Um, I'll be honest. You mentioned about playing 25 games here, 25 games. I knew I needed to play regularly. Now, that was going to happen one or two ways. Um, when we got relegated, or, or it looked like we were going, if it had gone that way, that Dario said, "Look, you know, you've, you've, you've stood us in good stead in League One before. You're going to play in the heart of the defence, and this is the way we're going to go." That would have been one one sort of resolution to or, or to me playing the games I wanted to play. But I must admit, I was I was thinking that the likelihood would be that I'd have to go elsewhere. Now. 
Crew had turned down an offer from Vale round around middle of the season. I don't know when, but but Vale had put a bid in, and, and there was someone else, I believe, not a massive amount of money, and and Crew had rejected it, nevertheless. So I wasn't an impression I'd probably get a contract in the summer, um, just as a result of them rejecting a, a cash offer. Now, as it was in the summer, um, Dario didn't offer me a contract. Now I'd already had a couple of um, conversations with other clubs anyway, which I was entitled to do because I was out of contract. And I must admit, I got to that stage where I probably felt I needed to move on. I think when you've come through a crew, you can always be seen as a kid. And it's it's understandable, no matter the fact that you're a 26-year-old man uh, with children and a mortgage. I think sometimes Dario may still see the 13-year-old boy who, who's potentially got a holdover because of, of the respect we've got for the man. So I, I kind of felt I needed to get away anyway, I'll be honest, Stuart. But then that decision was 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 taken out, fully out of my hands by the fact that the, the club didn't offer me me a contract. That not surprised you um, in, in some ways, because you mentioned before that the last time we'd left the championship, there were a few of the elder statesmen moved on for the next group. That Did you kind of get reminded of that at that point? Yeah, well, I think probably, I think we all thought I'd be offered a contract. And I say we all thought, I think, I remember the, the, the Sentinel at the time were kind of, I think I was probably the main, main story that season of, players who surprisingly were released, if you like. Um, it did a little bit come as a surprise, but then it wasn't a total shock as well. So I was ready to move on. I'd have, in an ideal world, I'd have liked to have been offered a contract and and kind of had that decision to make myself rather than it being as, as clear-cut as that. But I'll be totally honest, I, I had absolutely held no grudges against Davio or the club at the stage, not none whatsoever. The club had done absolutely wonders for me and given me an opportunity that you know to to embark on a professional career that I may not have been fortunate to have elsewhere. So, you know, I fully respected the decision of the club and and uh, had no no sort of axe to grind whatsoever with anyone who, who who made that decision. So you mentioned before you went down the road to play for that team that wear white. Um, did you get any abuse from any crew fans? Because we've had Matt Tootle on recently, you know, and he said the abuse that he got when he left, it wasn't really what he expected. It wasn't particularly very nice. Obviously, you're making that move pre-social media, but did you feel any backlash from the crew fans? No, um, I did when we played against crew. I, I, I really look, I quite relished that when we played at Gresty Road. Um, and uh, again, I was I was booed throughout, and it was I was a little bit of the pantomime villain, and, and I did quite enjoy that that day. But again, I think it's just part of the, the pantomime that was football. I don't think there was any real sort of malice. I don't think any. I think crew fans have always been decent enough with me, and and I probably appreciate that I always give my all for the club, and 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 generally I think the club got decent value in the, in uh, for the money in terms of what I produced coming through the academy. So. I always felt that, that the crew fans were fine with me. Obviously, going down the road and playing for Vale, um, had I rejected a contract at the club and left to go to Vale, it probably would have made that, that transition harder. I think the fact that the club didn't offer me a contract and I went down the road to Vale, I think it's probably easier to stomach for the club um, and the fans. And, and I must admit, I think I think crew, I'm not just saying this because I'm on this, this podcast, I think crew have a, a, a very intelligent fan base who, who you know know how football works got a good understanding of football and and are generally sort of 
have a, a good emotional control, really. So, no, I never felt any real hostility. And like you say, probably due largely due to the fact that it was, it was pre-social media. But no, other than playing against, against crew, I, I never really felt any hostility. I'll, I'll switch the question around then, Rich. Um, did you feel like you had to sort of prove yourself to the Vale supporters then, coming from, let's say, arguably their biggest local rivals? Yeah, I, I would say so, definitely. And I think probably from a point of, again, had I been offered a contract at Crew and signed for Vale, I think there'd have probably been a, ha-ha, we've, we've got one of your players here and he's chose to come to, to you, to, to Port Vale over, over Crew. And I think they'd have probably liked that and took me on board a bit better. I think the fact that, you know, perceptually it could have been a, a Crew cast-off was one of their main signings that summer. That might not have helped that that situation. Um, so yeah, I, I must admit, and early on, I, I did feel, you know, that that I had a lot of um, winning over the, the Vale fans to do for sure. Um, and I don't think I ever did as such. Um, and I had a bit of an indifferent start to my time there. Um, and then once I got over that, I put in some decent performances that I think were probably overlooked by some. Um, but it was a tough time for the club, you know, and, and to be fair, I look at, at, at Vale as from, from that period to now, and it, it's probably probably been a tough time for the club for all that period. So the fans have a lot of a lot of pent up negativity and, and probably more than I've ever seen and, and encountered at any other club. And a lot of that's often put on their own players, their own um, board, their own management team for one reason or the other. And, and whether justified or not. Did you play for them when we beat Vale at Crestia Road where Rogers scored a penalty yeah. in the last minute but had to be retaken? Were you yeah. in the Vale side that day? Yes, I was, yes. I can't, so I, I can't remember but whether you were yeah. or not. It was... Yeah, I played that day um, and it was right at the end of the game. It was actually, I remember, yeah, Luke took the penalty. So Luke played up front. I think Mickey Maynard played. Um, yeah. And, and I must admit, I had, I had a decent game. I, like I said, I fed off the atmosphere. Um, it was a real good atmosphere that day. Both both sets of fans were, were making a lot of noise. Um, was it 2-1 in the end? I think it was. Yeah, 2-1, yeah. You got booked that day. Right, yeah. I remember, the, I, mean, I think I remember it was, I think it was on Nicky Maynard, actually, yeah. Um, I'm sure it was, yeah. But, um, yeah, I knew I, I knew I had to, to, to sort of, leave one on Nicky and, and t- trying to steal any advantage I could because he, he, I knew then he was a good player and that was his, I think it was one of his breakthrough seasons. I'm sure that was his breakthrough season. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure I, I left one on, on Nicky. But yeah, um, a lad called Colin Miles gave a penalty away late on. Luke, should we say, won the penalty. Um, it was, it foul, was a dodgy penalty. Say. I'll admit yeah. that now, yeah, it was a bit dodgy. Yeah. And, and I remember it got had to be retaken and I was absolutely pecking Luke's head because it was his dad's birthday. And I was like, listen, you need to hand the ball to someone else, Luke. Your dad's, you're going to spoil his birthday, Luke. And he were like, Dorman, do one. I went, Luke, listen, mate, just hand the ball to someone else. Like, you don't realise that this keeper, I've never seen him not save a penalty and da-da-da. It got retaken. I'm going again. I'm going again. Now, Luke was a fiery character. It got to the stage where I thought, you know what? If he misses this, he might come after me at the end here. And I really don't want that. So, uh, but no, he scored. It was, I was absolutely, I must admit, I was absolutely devastated at the end because it was again. He, he levered, he levered that, that levered he that down the middle, didn't he? He it's did. Pandemonium. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So no, good, good memory, Steve.
I'm going to sort of skip on again, if I can, Rich, because I want to get onto your coaching. Um, but I've just got a little question for you. So you played for Crew, you played for Vale, you played for Mac. Uh, you had a little loan on uh, Northwich, you had a loan at Wrexham. Um, is there something about the South Cheshire, North Staffordshire area that's keeping you there? Is that, you know, because all of these clubs that, you know, they're not very far apart. What is it? Like, is, do you have a really nice house, Rich? Is that what it is? Is that? That's a bit personal, isn't it? <laughs> I, I live in a place called Penkridge, which is between Stafford and Wolverhampton. Now, um, I've just been fortunate that the places of which are, I've always been based are fairly, fairly accessible from home. You know, I'd be, I'd be willing to, and I would have been willing in my playing career and I'd be willing in my coaching career if, if needs must to, to, to sort of move away. I've just been fortunate that that's, that's been the case, you know? So yeah, uh, I mean, there's nothing there. I mean, maybe I, I think about, Possibly in terms of the coaching at Stoke, I guess playing for Crew, playing for Vale, coaching at Stoke, I guess the likelihood is my profile will be stronger within the area than than elsewhere. Um, but no, I've st it's certainly not a, a mandatory thing that right. anywhere I work or play needs to be within certain certain radius of home. Just so you can get home. Who did you? Uh... <laughs> yeah. Who did you support as a boy then, Rich Wolves? No. Or... My family are all from Leeds, so I grew up going to watch Leeds. I, I moved to Penkridge when I was eight, so my family, my dad's from Merrill's in Leeds and my mum's from Middleton. My uncles and every, everyone is from Leeds, so when I was a kid, we had to go to, um, you know, we even living here, we, we'd go to night games at Ellen Road, we'd follow the away games, so... Leeds was my club as a as a boy, and again in the crew shirt, I always always loved playing against Leeds. So yeah, New, Year, New Year's Day, New Year's Day, yeah. I bet you, I bet you've covered that that much that you don't, you don't want someone else taking us there. But no, that was <laughs> that was a special day for sure. Yeah, that was a good one. That absolutely. Okay, so you finished playing. Is it two thousand nine? You finished playing football. Yeah, I think you'd know better than me, but yeah, 2008, 2009s, I'm sure, Mac. And then how do you get into the coaching then? You said you sort of, you passed out a few, um, few like CVs and things like that. Were you coaching anywhere before you got the Stoke gig? I, um, what I'd done, I'd, I was always keen on coaching as a player and I was always intrigued by, by the process of the coaching. I was always um, intrigued by tactics, um, and I, I always thought I'd have a skill set that would lend itself to coaching um, post football. And, and during my career, I got my UEFA for B. So I, I was well on the way of, of getting the, the right qualifications. Um, and during my time at Macclesfield, I set up a, a coaching session locally just to kind of get myself used to, to leading sessions and coaching young kids. Um, and, and that ex escalated to having my own coaching company. So I was coaching mixed ability kids, doing that sort of stuff, um, which I enjoyed. Um, and then again, like I, like I mentioned, I, I um, reached out to Steve and, and got the, the chance to, to coach at Stoke, um, which I thoroughly enjoy. It started off as under 11s. Um, I currently lead the professional development phase, which is, is the under 23s to 18s. But, but um, the age group I, I lead it sort of day to day and week to week is, is the under 18s. So, I thoroughly enjoy what I do. Um, the club's a good club. It's um, you know run by good family people and with with good values. So um, I, I thoroughly enjoy my role there. Stoke obviously invested quite a lot into their academy. Is there pressure? Might not be the right word, but 
to get young lads into the first team because I don't want to turn into a Stoke podcast, but in recent years, there's probably only sort of Ty Campbell, I think he's... Yeah, so obviously, again, Steve initially went in and the board invested massively into an in, infu- infrastructure. Now, like I alluded to earlier, I think you don't necessarily get the fruits of that, the labour until sort of a full cycle of your under-9s have come through. Now, we're at a period now where Tom Edwards has come all the way through the academy, played in the Premier League for the first team and has just signed for New York Red Bulls. Um, we've got Harry Stuter, who's playing the first team each week, who, who's doing fantastically well. Nathan Collins, who's in the first team, just got injured, who's attracted interest from Manchester United, amongst others. Um, Tyrese Campbell, you've mentioned. Again, I think Tyrese has, has been on the, the, the radar of a lot of Premier League clubs. And again, since he's been injured, we've, we've obviously lost a lot, lot of goal threat. We've got Thibaut Verlinden. Um, you know, we, we've got Las Sorensen's. So there's a lot now starting to, to come through the system. We've got Will Forrester, who's, who's regularly around it, Josh Tymon. Um, so there's a, a lot of work coming through. So I think um, we're now reaping the rewards of a lot of people's labours over several years. Um, and, and hopefully we can we can really turn up a, a conveyable. Again, as I'm speaking, Joe Bursic's broken this season. He was England's under-21 goalkeeper. So if you actually look at the, the Stoke starting eleven this season, there's regular occasions when we've got four to five academy players that have started this started the games, which is 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 probably above significantly above average. Um, you know, so so I think whilst on the face of it it might not be evident straight away, when you delve deeper and you look at the amount of academy players we've got in, it, it's certainly uh, right up there um, along with a, a lot of other top academies. So just building on that, Rich, when Stoke were a few years ago when they were in the Premier League, uh, it wasn't really known for that, was it? It's lots of journeymen, lots of foreign players. Whereas now, I think with the going down to championship, it's a lot similar to the, what we say about Sean Smith, Steve McCauley, like the reset of the club. From a longer term point of view, should crew, should the crew players, not the players, the, the club, the fans, should we be worried that actually there's a club just down the road where young players, their parents are going to look at going that have got just as good an academy then? Is that the aim for Stoke to get an academy that's as good, if not better than crew? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think first and foremost, there's a lot of good people working in Crew's academy still, you know, from the first team staff to, to you know, Dave, Kenny, Alex, Lee Bell. There's a lot of good people working in the academy and doing a, a lot of good stuff. Now, um, that said, I think it'd be fair to say from a recruitment point of view, when we're, we're competing with crew, I think the fact that, that I think over the years, we've always been able to be competitive in terms of selling the facilities we've got, selling the Category 1 status. Now, up until three years ago, the, the missing piece of the jigsaw for us was the pathway to the first team because we hadn't had a conveyor belt of players through. Um, so in answer to your question, I think we've now got that final piece of the jigsaw to say we've got category one status, we've got um, fantastic facilities, but we've also got five, six, seven lads in our first team squad who've come through the academy. Um, so I would, for me, there's a lot of good stuff that goes on at Crew. Fantastic stuff, um, you know, and, and people will, will select where they go on what their own and judge it on their own merits. But in answer to your question, I'm sure Crew Academy are aware that, that Stoke are on the, the doorstep and, and doing a lot of good stuff. 
Um, I'm sure they respect what we do in the same way that we, we respect what they do. Obviously, if Stoke are going to start producing youngsters and stuff like that, is that would Crew be a club that they'd look to go out on loan? I can't think of many players previously that have come from Stoke on loan yeah. to us. So yeah. Ness was, yeah, but Ness was was a yeah, pro, in the academy, wasn't he? Yeah. No, and he couldn't run. To be fair, so do I. <laughs> but um, so it would, you know, is, is that a pathway for for Stoke youngsters? Is Crew is Crew an option? Are you even allowed to say that? I don't know. Yeah, I think I think for, certainly from our point of view, it'd be you know it'd be a good place for for players to get first team experience for sure. Um, you know, I've spoke to Kenny previously about different players that they've been looking at and whether I've got an awareness of them players. So we we've had dialogue of of different players. Um, whether Crew would like the idea of having a, a, a um, I guess developing a, a Stoke Academy player being part of their development would be another question. Um, but I'm sure, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that was something that you you wouldn't, you would see. I wouldn't be surprised if it's something you see in the next season or two. Um, you know, ho- hopefully that would be the case. Um, but I guess it, it, it'd be judged on its individual merits at the time, I think. We'll take Tyrese Campbell then. He's all right. Then. <laughs> yeah, so one think- person we haven't spoken about really is Neil Baker, Hannah Stoke reference. Any, any funny stories where he's concerned? Um, I wouldn't say funny stories. He was a strong man, great guy, real good interpersonal skills. Um, real good interpersonal skills. Had this great way of... He'd have this great way of, of laughing along with players' frustrations about Dario at times, but always having Dario's back 100%. You know, I, I, funny enough, one that springs to mind, actually, was, was we were playing... Um, I can't remember we were playing Leicester City or West Ham during the championship season, but we were either playing one of the two clubs. And, and this is what happened. We were at half time and we've come into the chain room and let's say for argument's sake, say we're playing West Ham, of which Brian Dean was playing for West Ham at the time. We've come in at half time and Dario started kicking off saying, who's marking Dublin from corners? Who's marking Dublin? To which no one said a word like, Obviously, Dion Dublin didn't play for West Ham. So no one's really picked up on it because in your own head, you're going, well, I've got so-and-so, so he's not talking to me and you crack on. And he's going absolutely mental. Who's got Dublin? Who's got Dublin? And then Bates has got on it quicker than anyone else because I think the pair of them must have gone and watched West Ham in a game and seen that Brian Dean was there. So, so Dario just got muddled up in his own head. And, da- and Bates has gone, who's marking Dean? And someone's gone, well, that's me. But Dario hadn't realised he'd said the wrong thing, but Bates had picked up on it. Not embarrassed Dario, but just gone, who's marking Dean? As if answer his question. And then and then whoever it was has gone, nah, that's me, that's me. And Dario's went, well, why didn't you flipping answer then? And and just berated him. But that was, that was classic Bates of being able to just read Dario like a book, know when he needs to stand his corner, stand his side, know when he can just maybe come away and just settle people down. The lads loved him. Everyone loved Bates. But he was also a tough man, a real tough man. And he'd have this thing, he'd just show his teeth and he'd actually pull his teeth out sometimes and just <laughs> snarl at you. It, honestly, he was, he was a tough man. But no, a, a lot of love, a lot of people, a lot of the players had a lot of love for Bates and still do. I, I love speaking to Neil all the time. And he was he was a vital part of that, the, the success that Crew encountered over them years, for sure. 
Rich, I'm going to finish off the pod with a question that's coming from Tim, um, one of our other panellists who's not on today, obviously. Um, he's got a hypothetical question for you. So in this uh, scenario, the thing that crew fans maybe slightly worried about could happen in the future, not too far from now, is big clubs come in and taking Dave Artel away. We're looking for a new manager. So two-part question. Would you be interested in managing the crew first team or is it youth football that you're interested in? And what sort of manager would you see yourself being at Crew? Yeah, good question. Um, in answer to your question, I, I really love what I do. I love working with with young players and, and developing young players. But I do have aspirations to manage and, and cut my teeth at the top end and, and really see whether I've got what it takes. Um, so the answer would be yes. I, I'd, I'd certainly you know, welcome an opportunity in years to come, if should that arise. Uh, would be the answer in terms of what type of manager I would be. Um, I always, I've always valued honesty. So not always popular at the time, but I'd, I'd be honest with people. Um, you know, I like to think I've, I've got decent personal relationships uh, and de- generate them. Um, and, and also I'd, I think I'd be hands-on. I like coaching um, and, and developing people. So for me, I think, I think sometimes a lot of people will look at, at first team management and not necessarily rate, relate the, the development side of it with the results business. But for me, the two can go hand in hand. So I think, to be fair, I think crew do it well. I think Dave, Kenny, Alex, I think they get that that really that balance well in the fact that they, they recognise there's three points that they need to go after every every game, but they also recognise that to develop players as part of the that process is is in the long run for the for the best good for everyone uh, and and for me that would be my stance on on how I'd see myself running uh, a first team be that crew Stokes whoever's uh, you know when when that day arises um, so yeah um, that 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 would be uh, hopefully that that's answered Tim's question perfect um, yeah I think it definitely has okay I think that will do us for today Steve and Steve thank you for coming on. Cheers, Jim. Cheers, Richard. Thanks, mate. Rich, thank you ever so much for coming on and giving us your time. That was uh, some some great stories you were telling us there. So thank you so much. No, appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. So until Monday, goodbye. Bomb, 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 bomb